This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a great show today. We're going to be covering a lot of things. There have been some dramatic um, successes with the BDS movement, the boycott, divestment, and sanctioning of the apartheid regime of Israel. We, we're going to be talking about Irish author Sally Rooney, who declined to sell her translation of her new award-winning book to uh, be translated into Hebrew to a Hebrew, to a you know Israeli publishing company. The Israeli you know Hasbro machine is going crazy about this, and uh, she's made some very very impressive um, statements about that. So we'll be talking about San- Sally Rooney's decision. We're also going to be talking about a very interesting statement put out by the former Israeli Deputy Attorney General, Yehudit Karp, who basically said it's time to call Israel an apartheid state. Very, very, you know, powerful things. But before we get to that, Jamal, you did a very excellent uh, interview with uh, Israeli filmmaker Avi Mograbi about his new film. It's called The First 54 Years, an Abbreviated Manual for Military Occupation. It's going to shake up the Israeli military and uh, establishment when this comes out. It's uh, it's quite an impressive film, and uh, you did a really great interview with him. Yeah, the film by Avi Mograbi, it, it builds uh, a handbook of the perfect occupier based on <laughs> testimonies from Israeli soldiers and archive footage. Uh, of course, Avi is one of the founders of uh, Breaking the Silence. Uh, Breaking the Silence is an organization of veteran soldiers who served in the Israeli military since the right. start of the uh, Second Intifada and have taken it upon themselves to expose the Israeli public to the reality of everyday life in, in, the, uh, in the occupied territories. Uh, their work aims to bring an end to the to the occupation. I should uh, say that um, actually breaking the silence. I was one of probably the first journalists to to interview uh, one of its founders <laughs> back in nineteen right. two thousand five. The organization I think was founded in two thousand four. The uh, film uh, is available online uh, in the Middle East and in the United States it's been shown shown or streamed at different film festivals and the next film festivals for festival in the United States for our uh, listeners and and viewers uh, there will be a fe- there is a festival in New York City uh, it's called uh, the Other Israel Film Festival uh, so people can go in person and uh, and watch the film on November 8th at 8 p.m. if you're in New York. Or you can go online and watch it online. Uh, there is an online screening uh, November 4th to the 11th. Let's uh, watch Avi. How to succeed in an occupation for at least 54 years? Well, you need to watch the first 54 years, an abbreviated manual for military occupation, a film by Avi Mograbi, which builds the handbook of the perfect occupier based on testimonies from Israeli soldiers and archive footage. The first 54 years aims to provide an exclusive insight into the Israeli occupation of the Palestinian people while it's still ongoing. 
Describing their orders, their missions, and their actions, Israeli soldiers' witnesses report on the mechanisms of the oppression of Palestinians from 1967 to the present day. With these testimonies, they reveal the factory of the occupation machine. Joining us to discuss his film is the writer and director Avi Mograbi. Avi began his filmmaking career in 1989 with a short film, Deportation, followed by a subsequent large body of films and many awards. He's been teaching documentary and experimental filmmaking in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem since 1999. Avi is also one of the founders of Breaking the Silence, an organization started by ex-Israeli soldiers that works to raise awareness among Israelis of the brutality and injustice uh, Palestinians suffer through their testimonies of personal experience as members of the Israeli military since 2000, occupying Gaza, Hebron, and the West Bank. Welcome to Arab Talk, Avi. Hi, Jamal. I'm very happy to be at Arab Talk. First, congratulations on your latest film. Please tell our audience uh, about the idea behind the film and the challenges uh, you faced bringing this idea into fruition. Okay, uh, well, as you uh, may well know, Jamal, uh, I'm well invested in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict for many years, and most of my films have to uh, deal, uh, deal with this way or another uh, with the conflict. I've been an activist for many years. I was one of the founders, uh, not only of uh, Breaking the Silence, but of uh, also of uh, Yesh Gvul, the first refusist organization um, that was uh, founded um, in the beginning of the uh, Lebanon war in 1982. I uh, refused to serve in Lebanon. I, uh, I was sent to military jail for that. So um, this is, uh, how shall I say, my favorite occupation, the <laughs> occupation. So um, now, uh, uh, breaking the silence that was founded in uh, 2004 uh, has uh, uh, set a, a, a time mark of, uh, of uh, following uh, the uh, actions uh, of the occupation since the year 2000. Their own generation, these are uh, the founders of this organization, uh, are uh, ex-soldiers or veteran soldiers who served uh, during the Second Intifada. Uh, and and uh, so uh, they normally uh, uh, collected testimonies from uh, veterans of their own uh, generation. Uh, and lately, uh, four or five years ago, uh, we at Breaking the Silence decided to uh, expand uh, the, the, the timeline and uh, collect testimonies that have to do with uh, the years prior to uh, 2000, from 1967 and on. And uh, we decided to do it as a, as a video project, not knowing exactly how to publish it. And me as the, the filmmaker in the board of directors of Breaking the Silence, I took um, this archive of uh, testimonies and started uh, editing them, trimming them, to short stories that uh, so that we at the board of directors could look at, at uh, this compilation and decide how to publish it. And while doing that, I realized that there was a potential for a larger scope 
kind of uh, publication than how uh, Breaking the Silence normally uh, publish their uh, collections. Because we normally, uh, when we put on Facebook uh, testimonies, it's one, two, three testimonies, uh, etc. Or we do um, books and booklets uh, under certain themes. And I saw uh, that I, I realized that we have collected uh, such a, a, a serious uh, uh, collection of testimonies that could help or pro, uh, allow me to create a, a, a larger kind of story uh, of, of the whole occupation. Now, one of the first decisions I made when I started trimming the stories was to concentrate only on actions, procedures, mechanisms, orders, uh, and and uh, remove and anything that has to do with reflection. I was not interested in the reflections of, of those who decided to testify. Because in every interview, as you may well uh, uh, realize, uh, you know, people talk about what they did, but they also said, uh, they also talked about how they saw it at the time, how in time they changed their mind, how they realized uh, that they had to uh, uh, change a position towards uh, what they did and towards the occupation in general, etc. And I decided to remove all this and to, not, to, not to address it, or to address only the actions. You have beaten your wife. I don't want to know what you, you what you thought when you did it or what you thought in the aftermath. I want to hear what you have done. This and this was the basis that eventually, uh, in you know, it took um, quite a long time uh, in the editing until uh, I got to that to create a manual for military occupation. If you want to have your own military occupation, I'm your man. I can save you so much time and trouble. You should uh, watch my film or look into my uh, handbook and uh, success is, uh, is a given. Wow. And, and I know, uh, well, I should ask you, how has uh, overall the reception been, even uh, with, and I'm quoting here, the culture, loyalty, crusaders in Israel, do you think segment of the Israeli population has been receptive? Look, the film has had uh, uh, really uh, an immense uh, international success, but not so much uh, in Israel. All foundations uh, during production, all Israeli cinema foundations rejected it and refused to uh, uh, help uh, uh, fund it. Um, all uh, 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 broadcasters, TV broadcasters in Israel refused to uh, acquire it. And even uh, Israeli film festivals uh, rejected it and didn't uh, uh, present it. Uh, which, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> is, is not a, a great position to be, uh, to understand that uh, the, your community is unwilling to uh, listen to what uh, you have to say, but uh, well, this is uh, what uh, what I'm doing. Now, uh, we have, uh, the film was not banned in Israel. It's allowed 
to to screen in Israel, and it had uh, it's uh, a few screenings at the Tel Aviv Cinematex so far, and uh, other Cinematex uh, will follow. And we have uploaded it to Facebook, uh, uh, restricted only to the Middle East, so uh, uh, it will not uh, uh, damage uh, the uh, international uh, distribution. And uh, people in Israel, Palestine, uh, Lebanon, Syria, uh, Egypt, Iraq, etc., can uh, watch the film uh, freely with Hebrew and uh, Arabic subtitles. We have reached until now uh, more than 150,000 uh, people. It doesn't mean that all of them have seen the film in full, but uh, uh, we are working on that. So uh, basically, the the reactions, you know, it's uh, uh, you get uh, uh, comments on Facebook. Some are are very encouraging, and some are. Um, uh, <clears throat> uh, so, some I wouldn't uh, want to repeat uh, uh, the, for to your delicate ears. So um, uh, obviously, this uh, community here uh, is not ready to look uh, at the film or at the mirror uh, when it has to do with the occupation. Well, that's why I wanted actually to talk about this because the the your premise in the film is that the occupation and uh, ethnic cleansing of Palestine uh, has been very methodical and and deliberate. Same goes, uh, you know, if somebody reads, for example, uh, Ilan Pape's book, The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine, it becomes very clear that the whole colonization of Palestine was planned far in advance and. There is a method behind it. I mean, and of course, your film, it doesn't go as far back as the Nakba, 1948. It starts with the Naksa, which is 1967. Yet there is, you have a lot of parallels between the two, you know, because occupation is occupation. Yet most Israelis seem to be in, in, in denial, even, you know, they're in denial reading a book, but they are also in denial see, seeing a film with images, with, with soldiers uh, speaking about their experience. Do you feel, uh, is this going to go on forever, or, or do you think there, there's a change of public opinion in Israel well, first of all, indeed, uh, uh, in Nakba, during the Nakba, we didn't uh, complete the job. Israel did not complete the job. The, the ambition has remained to have uh, maximum land, minimum people. People, I mean, non-Jews. When you, when you mean, and, I just want to clarify to our audience, when you mean we did not complete the job, you mean did not complete the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians from the land? Yes, yes. No, I'm talking, and when I say we, I, I'm talking about Israel. I, okay. I, am, uh, I am part of this we. What can I do? I mean, uh, but uh, the job was not completed. Uh, many uh, fled uh, Palestine during 1948, but also others stayed. And uh, this is 20% uh, of uh, uh, the present population of the state of Israel. The, uh, the ambition concerning the occupied territories, meaning the West Bank and Gaza Strip, has not changed. We are working on acquiring maximum 
uh, land with minimum people, as, as few Palestinians as possible, because uh, the, the, uh, the Palestinian threat to Israel uh, is not a military threat, is not, is not a, what they call a terrorist threat. It's a demographic uh, threat. If Israel doesn't maintain its uh, um, Jewish majority, then the state of uh, the Jewish state of Israel will be gone. And this is why Israel's uh, main goal, number one goal, is to uh, maintain the Jewish majority. And this is why we are keeping five million Palestinians under occupation without providing them any civil rights, without allowing them to become citizens, without allowing them to vote and participate in the political uh, uh, game, if you if you want to kill to call it a game, not as uh, in uh, uh, hunting, but game as in in playing. Uh, let's hope it's game as in playing. And um, so uh, now I forgot what the the question was. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well. <laughs> No, I, I mean carried away with my uh, with my dissertation. Well, I mean, uh, I, I just actually continue on on the question because we're seeing, <clears throat> you know, I was saying that there is a lot of parallel between even though your film begins in 1967, but it 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 also, you know, there are, there is a parallel between what happened during the Nakba, and then you've answered it. You said. Of you did not complete meaning Israel as a as a as an entity. I'm not talking about you personally, uh, but did not complete the job. I mean, in in the 21st century, uh, and I'm sure you're aware of this now, the whole idea of the utopian Israel that was created, uh, even in the United States, uh, the vast majority of the Jewish population don't believe that, that uh, there was the creation of Israel, the land uh, for the people without land and so forth. You know, it has changed. Uh, Human Rights Watch uh, recently said Israel is practicing apartheid. Uh, yeah. Israel's own uh, human rights organization, B'Tselem, also said the, said the same thing. And that's why I'm asking this question and then, you have your film, which has uh, accurate historical testimonies, and 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 many writers in Israeli writers written about the subject. Yet, the process continues. I mean, nothing has changed. The ethnic cleansing yes. in Sheikh Jarrah continues in Silwan, and and and. My question is: With all these, and South Mount Hebron uh, was uh, in the in the headlines uh, in the, in recent uh, days. Yes, uh, look, I have I, there, there are no uh, I, I have nothing to uh, to promise. There's nothing to expect. The project of of cleansing uh, Palestine from Palestinians remains. Yet, I want to say something that. Uh, is in a way contradictory to that, or not contradictory, but uh, may sound uh, optimistic, although I'm not an optimistic person. I think that 10 years before the end of apartheid, neither you nor me, nor, nor any of our listeners would have imagined 
that in 10 years, the apartheid will be gone, Mandela will become president, and South Africa will have a restart. I'm not saying that South Africa is a utopian project or that it's an, uh, uh, that the problems were solved, but it, let's say that it's possible that you, when we meet, you and me, in 10 years, we will discuss how come we didn't see that something is changing. Maybe there is an undercurrent that we cannot detect that will surprise us. Let's hope so. This is the least I can say, the maximum, not the least, the maximum optimism I can share. But it, uh, I, I may be also wrong. Well, uh, no, listen, I'm, I'm also an optimist, and I, uh, I don't know if you know that, but I, uh, I've been aware of uh, your organization, Breaking the Silence, since 2005, Shavrim uh, Shtika, right? I've actually, in 2005, interview, interviewed Yehuda Shol in, in Jerusalem. Uh. Uh, and and this uh, and then went to an exhibit that you've had in Haifa, you know they uh -huh. had you know you know after the interview we interviewed in Jerusalem, went to that exhibit, and uh, and he seemed hopeful at the time. I mean he spoke about his experience serving in Hebron, and what made him change his mind when he was given orders to use the uh, Katyusha launcher and, 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 and just uh, shoot uh, blindly at uh, some noise in the hills. I yeah, think not a Katyusha launcher, but a grenade launcher. A grenade, yes. la a grenade launcher. He called it in Hebrew the Mikla. A Mikla. Yeah. I remember yes. that. So, so, so uh, and, and that's what made him change his mind. And then, there, and then he was saying, there are other soldiers. And, this, and I was like, oh, wow, if the soldiers start saying like yourself you you've you've said in your interview you refused to serve in in Lebanon I said well there is hope because they don't want to be the oppressors yet somehow Israel keeps manufacturing new crop of young soldiers who are willing to they send them to man the checkpoints the mahsooms and so forth and it's never ending. So, so nothing has changed in in a way. Got things have gotten worse from 2005. You know, a year after uh, breaking the silence, which I think it's a great idea. It's a great organization, and nothing has changed. If if anything, it has changed to the to the opposite, to the worse. This is the Middle East. Every day is worse than the day before. Not only about Israel Palestine. Also, if you look at Syria, you look at Lebanon. And I'm sure that also in Egypt, uh, the experience is the same. Look, breaking the silence is a very singular uh, phenomenon. Uh, I don't think that anywhere in the world at any time were there when the, the, there was a, a moment where the perpetrators started to testify and tell about what they did while the conflict was still ongoing. It took, uh, in South Africa, it took until uh, apartheid was abolished and, and the, for the uh, truth and, res uh, and 
resolution committee to, to be formed, uh, when people could uh, um, testify. It's uh, Algeria was not uh, decoded yet, the French, and, and it will never be, because uh, those who served in Algeria are, are very are scarce. They're, they're dying, they are very old. So uh, in that sense, you can say, yes, it's optimistic. Israel has shown us that uh, <laughs> we can uh, start uh, uh, confessing on, on or testifying on the crimes that we have committed uh, in real time uh, uh, and not in retrospect. Again, you look at reality and reality doesn't provide any reason to be optimistic. So I, I, uh, the only optimism I could squeeze out of myself was this thought about 10 years before the, uh, the end of apartheid in South Africa, that was uh, <laughs> that nobody could uh, detect that this is what's coming. But uh, I, I and I pray, I, I hope, I, I dream that this is what will happen in ten years. We will be able to to discuss our, our blindness. Hopefully, I hope so. yeah, hopefully. Yes, let's pray. Yes, absolutely. So. Uh... I, I I should correct myself. I said the film was banned in Israel. It's not. But what uh, what what they what they've been trying to do? You've been basically set aside. You don't receive any government funding for the film, and and, and no festival will show it right in in Israel. And and that's kind of an indirect way of censoring the film. Absolutely, self-censorship is the worst of all. Look, there was a huge campaign by uh, the Netanyahu government in its last uh, uh, in in the, the last four years uh, of on on uh, freedom of speech they didn't succeed in legislating any of the laws like the loyalty law that you mentioned earlier but the message was internalized uh, uh, programmers lectors they have understood what is expected of them and I, I, well, I was never, I was not in any of those um, meetings uh, of, of the, uh, the programmers or lecturers that decided to reject my film. But I think I know the state of mind of the people that uh, sat there. Did you show the films to Palestinians, let's say in East Jerusalem or, or Palestinians in... Uh you know, in Haifa and so forth. I mean, what, what's No, there? not yet. We are, we are working on it. Um, we do get a lot of reactions of Palestinians on Facebook because the, we uploaded the film on Facebook with both Hebrew and uh, Arabic subtitles. Then uh, in the comments, you can see uh, 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 comments or, or uh, uh, shares by by uh, Palestinians or or Facebook uh, uh, people, uh, Facebook uh, uh, members of, uh, who are with Arabic names, and uh, you realize that um, uh, it has reached uh, parts of the Palestinian community in Israel. We are uh, planning um, to do uh, screenings in uh, in Nazareth, in Ramallah, in Haifa. 
but uh, it, it takes time. Uh, first, because the release of the film is not a normal release, it doesn't go on cinemas, it goes uh, either on um, uh, certain, with certain organizations organizing screenings or um, inserting certain uh, 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 sites where you can uh, uh, recruit uh, uh, a public, then uh, uh, we, we are uh, only in the beginning of uh, reaching out for the Palestinian community. The, the film was like uh, most of my films was subtitled to Arabic, uh, not for, uh, <laughs> not in vain. I mean, I, I have done that because I want to reach out uh, to uh, the Palestinian community. That's clear. What has surprised you the most now since you've been showing the film in festivals and online? What what, what you will think the most surprising thing that you've received, basically? Well, I'm not sure it, it's the most surprising, but uh, uh, something that clarifies also the the uh, the the, the uh, general Israeli reaction is how it's so easy to look outside rather than to, than to look inside. Introspection is uh, is painful. Uh, I screened the film in France. And there's a sociology professor, a very uh, uh, prominent, uh, very nice uh, leftist uh, activist sitting in the, in the crowd and says, how come you, the Jewish people who suffered so much from what the Nazis have done to you in the Second World War, how can you indulge in doing such horrific things to the Palestinian people? which is a, a reasonable question. Have, have we not learned anything from our own experience? But then I, I asked him, how come you, the French people, who were also occupied by Germany and have suffered by the Nazis and have suffered immensely from the German occupation, how could you very soon after indulge in Hindu, into China and, and uh, Algeria the way you did? Yeah. I, I, one, one thing I'm, I'm very scared of. One day, the Palestinian people will be free. And they will have, you will have your own state. I hope that you will not find yourself indulging in oppressing another community. Because the, it's terrible. It's, uh, I'm talking about human nature. I'm not talking about, about Israelis or Palestinians or, or French or anybody. Human nature. You know that uh, uh, research, research has shown us that battering parents Better, sorry, battered children have grown up to be battering parents. This is terrible about us, about what we are, the essence of being a human being. It's terrible. You know, this is really amazing because, as, as I said, when I was doing interviews, uh, I also spoke to a, a woman who was from 
the lady's in black and she said the same thing. When I asked her this question and she said, do you know Jamal, uh, children of uh, uh, who were abused, you know, by, yes. the, you know, they saw their, their father abusing their mother, wherever they grow up to do the same thing when, you know. Yes, like, how That's can this happen? What, what, do, what is the lesson that we take from our own experience? Our own sad experience, our, our own oppressed experience. I, 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 and and uh, concerning this, uh, I definitely don't have any answers. But but we need to understand something about human nature, about the psychology of the oppressed, not only the psychology of the oppressor. You're absolutely right. And one final question is how how was the reaction of the subjects of the film, the, the, the soldiers? I mean, it's one thing doing an interview, and then another thing is later on to watch yourself on the screen being part of this. Have you heard from them? Yes, obviously. Uh, all all, um, all uh, uh, witnesses received a link to watch the film before it was released. Um, I'm not saying that, uh, I'm not sure that all of them did, but uh, I've, uh, I've reached out to all of them uh, before the film was released. Until now, there was only one, uh, one witness who was so unhappy with the way, with, with what he has seen, his own testimony, that he has asked me to change the, uh, the card that is uh, identifying him from his full name to only, uh, you know, an abbreviation. Uh, uh, but he didn't ask to remove the testimony and he came to the Tel Aviv premiere, and and um, he, he he I think he had difficulties not with me or with me putting him in a film, but with what he has done. And this was uh, 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 this has uh, uh, allowed his past to re uh, uh, appear to float, and he had to deal with it. It, it was not, I, I don't think, uh, and, and, he, uh, and I, heard, I didn't hear from him since. This, uh, we're talking about a month ago that the Tel Aviv premiere uh, where he was. Um, so I'm sure that uh, those with the harsher stories, uh, this, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> it's, it's strange to talk about the oppressors post-trauma, but post-trauma belongs also to the oppressors, not only to the oppressed. And I'm not saying that, uh, that it's more important, but, um, and you see some of the uh, witnesses in the film are clearly, you can, uh, I, I have removed the verbal reflections, but I could not remove the, the, uh, the, what you see in their eyes, or in their uh, body language. And some of them are, you know, like without, uh, without a psychologist on my side, I can say that they're definitely post-traumatic. The film is the first 54 years, an abbreviated manual for military occupation 
by Avi Mograbi. Avi, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. Thank you, Jamal, for having me. It's a privilege. Wow, that's uh, that was quite an interview, Jamal, and it's very brave of this uh, filmmaker to go out there and to do a film like this. I mean, the whole foundation of the history of the apartheid regime of Israel is is kind of based on this heroic vision of the military, but yet he breaks it down in terms of um, you know it's really been a it's, it's really been an uh, uh, you know built, directed vision based on occupying other people. It's uh, it's stuff that, I mean, you and I know a lot about this, but it's even, there's some information that he spoke about that was even new to me. Well, it's mostly uh, interviews, uh, you know, with um, Israeli soldiers who served basically oppressing Palestinians and then had their second thought about it and some like for example Avi Mograbi he himself refused to serve in Lebanon and and was uh, imprisoned uh, for for doing this uh, and one thing interesting you know those now after watching the interview with him one thing very interesting that he said because the film remember starts really talking about the occupation since 1967 which is the Nexa doesn't go all the way back to 1948, which is which is the Nakba. Even though uh, through these testimonies and, and and there are a lot of parallels with the ethnic cleansing, oppression, uh, etc. And 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 I asked Avi like, what was the intention, etc. You know, I mean, they pick up from there. But then he says, well, you know, and that doesn't mean himself, but he says kind of the Israeli Institute or whatever they said, they did not complete the job in 1948. That's right. That's, that's exactly said, right. That's, that's the, the, the Israeli institution has not completed the job, meaning, you know, 1967. The job occupation of occupation. Is, right. Occupation and ethnic cleansing. Really, exactly. that's, 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 he was very, he was very clear about that. Well, uh, it's a it's a really excellent uh, documentary. We're encouraging our viewers and our listeners to take a look at it online, or if they're in New York, they can go see it in person. But this is yet another piece of the puzzle of disabusing uh, the kind of Israeli Hasbara, historical Hasbara, on the on this myth, the mythology of the Israeli military being this heroic, you know, enterprise when in fact it's been in the total service of occupying Palestinians, ethnically cleansing them. And so it's a really impressive look at uh, impressive look at that, which most Americans, I would say, probably have no idea about the full depth of the uh, of the, you know, kind of the the ugly side of the uh, Israeli military, to put it mildly. Well, uh, on the same topic, uh Zionists uh, who support apartheid Israel and their surrogates are having a very bad week, Jess. It's a bad week, Jamal. It's a bad so, week for Israeli so, apologists. It's a very so, so, bad week. So the show focuses on this. I mean, it, 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 it happened <laughs> uh, as a coincidence when we actually uh, right. organized a, the interview with uh, Avi Mograbi. But uh, this week, as you know, and as you said early on, Irish uh, novelist, uh, acclaimed, I should say, Irish novelist Sally Rooney said on Tuesday that she would not allow the Israeli publishing house 
that handled her previous novels to publish her most recent book. Uh, it's called Beautiful World, Where Are You? Because of her support for Palestinian people and the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement, she also added that she knew that some would disagree with her decision, but, and, and I'm quoting here, but I simply do not feel it would be right for me under the present circumstances to accept a new contract with an Israeli company that does not publicly distance itself from apartheid and support the United Nations stipulated rights of the Palestinian uh, people. It's a very strong statement, Jamal. I, I think people need to know about Sally Rooney. She's she's not just any novelist and any writer. She's an internationally renowned, recognized, award-winning novelist who is beloved all over the world, not just in Ireland, but in the United States and beyond. So her statement is is compelling, it's strong, and it's someone like this who gives a full-throated response and support for BDS that really that really makes Israelis, you know, who support the apartheid regime and the apartheid practices quiver because she's so reasonable. Her statement is so powerful. Her writing is so clear and beautiful. This is exactly the kind of person who supports the BDS that is a nightmare for the Israeli Hasbaristas, as you call them, or the Israeli apologists. They what do you do with such a thoughtful, thoughtful, you know, person like Sally Rooney? It's hard to criticize anything that she said in her statement. She by the way, she also said, Jamal, if she found somebody uh, outside of the apartheid state of Israel who would publish it in Hebrew, she might even consider it, but there's no way that she would do that. And again, full-throated, full support for the BDS movement. This is, this is really, as you said, and I agree, it's a, it's a really bad day for the uh, apartheid regime. It's a bad week. They're having a very bad week. Just, just to be clear, uh, Sally Rooney is not the first prominent author to decline an offer to publish in Israel. Right. Alice Walker said in 2012 that she would not allow a Hebrew translation of her Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, The Color Purple. Everyone knows The Color Purple, Jess. Uh, uh, Alice Walker, uh, who was born in Georgia in 1944, said at the time, and I'm quoting here, I grew up under American apartheid, and this, she added, of Israel's treatment of Palestinians, was far worse. Yeah, well, you know, that's what Desmond Tutu also said about Israeli apartheid. And Desmond Tutu, you know, lived under brutal apartheid practices of uh, apartheid South Africa. He said the same thing. So um, the other thing that Sally Rooney did, and I think you mentioned this, Jamal, but it's important to 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 put it out there. She referenced Bet Salem. She referenced Human Rights Watch. She's she's saying this. I'm looking at what the rest of the world is saying about the apartheid regime, and we're fully in support of you know Palestinian rights for freedom and self determination. So, um, I think the Habaristas, Hasbaristas, Jamal, are probably not just nervous, but they're going to have to rework their their strategy because they're losing on the international front. They're losing on the international stage. By the way, the Israeli foreign minister is visiting 
the United States and is meeting with Nancy Pelosi today. And so you can tell that this nervousness about reaching out and and kind of um, wanting to maintain the facade of, you know, great relations. Nancy Pelosi is walking a big tightrope now, especially with her, the progressive elements of the Democratic Party, because everybody knows what's happening in the apartheid regime right now. So it's kind of an interesting time politically. Well, we 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 said this last time that every time uh, Israel tries and its allies uh, try to whitewash uh, their crimes, something shows up. I mean, you know, we said this has been a bad week. It has been a bad year. I mean, if you think about the year and you talk about starting with Beth Salem, the Israel's uh, human rights organization, to Human Rights Watch itself, saying, hey, right. guys, and it's, it's, it's a whole big publication, over 200 pages long, discussing right. all the actions of Israel and, and why they're coming to the conclusion that its practices um, are apartheid, uh, represent apartheid. And then, you know, as you know, they go on, on, on the attack and they try to demonize Human Rights Watch and demonize Beth Salem and demonize anyone from, let's say, you mentioned the progressive element in, uh, within Congress, like Rashida Tlaib and, and uh, Ilhan Omar and etc. And then something else happens. And then here we go. And I said, this is the week. And then you have a very famous author makes it very clear. And 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 also, uh, and this is a case. Just here's a, a case of if it looks like a duck, swims like a duck, and quacks right. like a duck, then it probably is a duck. And and this is the other story of the week, which is uh, the time has come to admit Israel is an apartheid regime. That's an article in Haaretz by Yehudit Karp, and she's not. Anyone, Yehudit Karp was the former deputy attorney general of the state of exactly. Israel. Exactly. Uh, you know, and she she writes a whole long article, illegal. Actually, uh, that illegal scholar would argue this is not an emotional art article. This is a legal article, Jess. Yeah, and she, and, and and listen, this is not. This is not a Palestinian or someone from the European Union uh, writing a legal analysis about the apartheid practices of the state of Israel. This is nothing like that. This is someone who is a former you know, assistant attorney general who's from the, the belly of the beast, who saw the operation of apartheid up close and personal on a daily basis. And for her to write this kind of article— adding insult to injury to the bad week that the uh, Israelis are already having, uh, this is pretty compelling. Now, Haaretz, Jamal, is kind of known for being very, um, I won't say progressive, because you can't use the word progressive with anything in the Israeli, you know, uh, scope of things. But they are known for being somewhat balanced and presenting, you know, ideas that are different from the other Israeli media. So the fact that this would be published in Haaretz and um, gain such notoriety is is a very big deal. I, I'm kind of interested in what you think about this, Jamal, because for me, it's always about timing. 
You had Human Rights Watch. You had Bet Salem. By the way, you forgot Ben and Jerry's in terms of the bad year that the Israelis are having. Then you have Sally Rooney. And then you have all this anxiety about the Israelis, you know, coming, you know, with their new elections and then relationship with the Biden administration. For this article to be published now speaks to some movement within some elements of the Israeli society that time has come to kind of face reality. I mean, is is that your sense or am I just more optimistic? I no no I think you're right. I I I think it's snowballing. I mean, uh, you cannot keep hiding uh, you know all these atrocities indefinitely. And we you for you forgot to mention and I forgot to mention also the marshes in, in, in Jerusalem and the chance death to Arabs that millions right. and millions of people saw, right? So this is all that's happening. And and there is a famous uh, person, and I won't quote, but he said, at some point you cannot shine third. That's, that's <laughs> making right. saying it lightly. I mean, how, how, how long can you keep hiding? And hiding the crimes of uh, and the atrocities of of the Israeli regime, how long can you keep denying that what's happening on the ground ground is apartheid? I mean, how long? And I, I want to actually read some of her legal argument because I said this okay. is a legal argument. Let's do that. And then she says, this is just the end. She said, therefore, in practice, the High Court of Justice in Israel provided a legal seal of approval for the existence of two separate legal systems in the same geographic area under a single government. One is privileged for the Jewish citizens of the ruling authority who live in the region, as opposed to international law, and whose human rights are protected, and the other discriminatory, oppressive, and draconian for those being ruled. Residents of the regions who are identified based on different national or ethnic affiliation. That is, and this she and that's her last sentence. That is the elephant that is in the room under the edges of the high court, and with the with the granting of a specific seal of approval by the Israeli court. The time has come to call a spade a spade. An apartheid wow. regime is the name given in international law by internet by the international community to a regime of the type that Israel is maintaining in the occupied territories. And, and what uh, I'm saying here, it what makes it's it very different. Compelling. Yeah, it's what very makes a difference, she's basically a legal scholar, you know, and well, she's not using just the a legal scholar. argument. Yeah, it's a legal argument. She's a former, you know, assistant attorney general, the highest, you know, part of the department, the highest legal uh, department within the Israeli uh, kind of system. A, you know, system of justice, I say that in quotes. But for someone from the inside to point out that kind of analysis is very compelling. Um, you know, the the anxiety that is kind of, uh, this is uh, engendering in Tel Aviv right now is pretty extensive. I, I want to just say something. I don't know if you caught this. But as I mentioned, the Israeli foreign minister's meeting with Nancy Pelosi today will probably take a meeting with Blinken a little bit later. In a press conference this morning, one of the reporters asked uh, the Israeli uh, foreign minister, if the United States asks you to open the Israeli, the American consulate in Jerusalem, would you do it? He got very flustered. He said, absolutely not. I mean, 
And again, you could see the kind of pushback and the kind of, you know, changes within the, uh, even in the media here in the United States, pushing back on the Israeli um, uh, Hasbarista or Israeli narrative about how things are. I found that kind of unusual. I don't remember the last time uh, U.S. media was able to ask such tough questions of an Israeli foreign minister so publicly. Yeah, and uh, hopefully they'll keep asking more tough questions because uh, I think this whole trip again, you know, you've mentioned meetings uh, with Blinken, etc. But I know this is a probably the most important meeting uh, for the foreign ministers to have with APAC. So they'll come up with a new strategy and their surrogates in Congress. Because, you know, every time something like this happens, you have all these apologists, as you've mentioned, who will try to defend. And I mean, this is crazy, because like I'm saying, they they attacked Human Rights Watch. I mean, you know, this is like one organization that's supposed to protect the entire population on of, on Earth and and human rights. They say, oh no no, they're biased, and then they attack an Israeli organizations like B'Tselem. They'll even go into attacking now this former uh, uh, deputy uh, attorney general of Israel. They'll say something bad about her. I mean, it's just there is no end. Uh, to their argument and attack. And one thing I've noticed, one when they start kind of, when their backs uh, to the wall, uh, one argument they'll always fall uh, d- trying to defend uh, apartheid in Israel and the atrocities. Do you know what's that argument, Jess? Well, the anti-Semitism argument? That's... That's always the case. That's that's kind of like the the the, the easy one to go to the... But no, there is another one now they use. It's the whataboutism. What about? Yeah, whatever you mentioned, say, they'll start going, what about China? What about the, what's happening in China to the Muslims in China? Why you're criticizing Israel? What about Iran? What about what's happening in the Ukraine? So this is the whataboutism argument. That's we when they run out of every single argument. But Jamal, we have a really good argument for that. Here, here's the whataboutism. We don't give Iran $3 billion a year. We don't give China $3 billion a year in military aid. We don't have special relationships where our intelligence services share information with uh, Israeli intelligence services. So it's a bogus, bogus argument about whataboutism. And, and the fact is, you know, the walls of protection internationally to protect Israeli illegal uh, practices, immoral, illegal practices of occupation and ethnic cleansing of Palestinians, the walls are beginning to crumble, Jamal. And even though this is a marathon, I think we just went from mile one to mile two with what happened this week. Well, it has been a bad week for Hasbaristas. It has been a bad <laughs> week for Israel surrogates in Congress and across the globe, and we didn't even get to what happened in London, in England, and other other places. We'll get to that. Uh, we'll get to that hopefully next week. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, eighty nine point five FM. Go to our website arabtalkradio.com and download any show that you have missed. And we'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>